my fourth time moderating this extinguished, distinguished uh, panel. And um, I would like to say that it's probably one of my highlights. And thank you, Nicola, for allowing me to, to be part of this event. I'm Sophia Kilmanidis. I'm an EY partner. I am also the CESA Regional Capital Markets and IPO leader. It has been a very interesting day today, and I guess a lot of the topics we're going to be, I will be asking the panel are going to be similar themes that we heard during the day. So this panel is titled Greek Shipping at the Forefront of Global Trade Prospects, Opportunities, Challenges in a Changing World. And we would like to hear the views from uh, the Greek ship owners. Um, I want to welcome formally our esteemed panel members, Mr. John Kustas, Mr. George Economou, Mr. Evangelos Marinakis, Mr. George Prokopiou, Mr. Petros Papas, and Mr. Nikos Sakos. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, we heard about COVID. We've been hearing about supply chain disruption. Uh, sustainability, ESG, geopolitical turmoil, wars. Indeed, these are really changing times. And allow me to just to say a quote from the author Martin O'Malley that really comes to mind. He said, we live in a very different world than the one we inherited from our parents and from our grandparents. Times are changing and states must adapt to win. And you gentlemen, are coming from generations of ship owners. And what I would like to discuss with you today is um, what things need to be changing in the shipping industry in order to manage these challenges and really continue winning. Now, I'm gonna be asking uh, questions to specific uh, panelists, but please, if you do wanna um, share your views, um, please join and provide your insights. Um, we'll start off with uh, Mr. Marinakis. Now, um, there are different sectors we're aware of, dry bulk tankers, um, containers, NLG, and they have different fundamentals when it comes to supply and demand. But overall, the current markets uh, or outlook for ship, uh, all shipping sectors are relatively positive. So where do we go from here? Um, is the strong shipping market here to stay? And how much of this is due to the fundamentals of supply and demand versus geopolitical factors? Mr. Marinaki? Hello? No? So where do we go from now? We can go for vacation also. It's uh, something that is recommended. And uh, you know, after what we have seen uh, from the beginning of this year, might be appropriate and uh, can be also profitable. But anyway, just to answer uh, your question is that uh, uh, as far as COVID is concerned, as far as uh, what is happening right now in Ukraine and uh, what we see uh, with the invasion of uh, Russia is something that uh, we hadn't seen in the past or we hadn't seen any conflict uh, so close to us uh, that uh, took place uh, within uh, very few days that uh, we all realized that uh, there is a big tension in the region. And uh, of course, geopolitically, this has changed a lot of fundamentals. 
fortunately and unfortunately, uh, in a lot of occasions, uh, shipping uh, is uh, heavily uh, related to all these geopolitical uh, changes, and uh, especially when we have wars and uh, such conflict, uh, uh, we see new opportunities and uh, different patterns of trade. Now, uh, it has become apparent that the uh, uh, European community has decided to uh, be isolated or uh, not to be as dependent as all these years uh, uh, from gas and oil from Russia. Of course, this uh, cannot uh, happen overnight. Uh, yeah, it takes some time. But I think that uh, uh, I think that uh, the European leaders are making a mistake that uh, instead of trying to find a peaceful solution that uh, will really solve this uh, uh, big uh, problem and uh, uh, of course help our economies uh, because right now from all the sky's cost and inflation are suffering and at the end of the day the consumer is paying the price. Uh, they are discussing about more sanctions uh, uh, to be imposed in uh, Russia and all this. And uh, on the other hand, uh, we see that uh, uh, Russia is selling uh, oil with heavy discounts to India and to China. The refineries in uh, India receiving this uh, huge discounts in crude, and they are selling back to us in Europe uh, gasoline and all the products at, high, uh, at sky high uh, prices. And uh, at the end of the day, we pay the price and they make a tremendous profit. So that means that instead of penalizing uh, Russia, we penalize ourselves. And this is something that uh, sooner or later we'll see the consequences. We already see it. And uh, it's something that we have to take in serious consideration and uh, also uh, point out to politicians that uh, they need to find a solution and not uh, to stop this uh, dispute because uh, this, as I said, uh, will uh, have very serious effects in our economy and uh, we're going to have a huge uh, recession in front of us. Going back also as far as the shipping markets are concerned, of course we are optimistic. Uh, we have seen that uh, uh, we have seen it in the container trade. Now we have seen it uh, in the LNG because of what is happening in Russia. We have seen it also in, uh, in Balkariers that uh, we enjoy all these good markets and uh, of course there is a big expectation in front of us for the tanker market. We hope that uh, when consumption come back to uh, China and uh, in the Far East uh, will be more stabilized due to the restrictions and the lockdowns that we see from uh, COVID, uh, the demand will be increased, the consumption will be increased and we will after two years of uh, uh, distressed uh, uh, market, we will see the benefit. Even though that uh, on the smaller sizes, of course, on the products and uh, 
on the AFRAM axis we have seen uh, due to the war also a much better market. So we expect to see that uh, towards the end of the year also in the larger crude carriers. That's basically it. Thank you. Um, the next question is for Mr. Tsakos and Mr. Ekonomou. If I gave you $100 million or a little bit more than that, uh, in which sector would you be making an investment? Well, I'll go before George will spend it very fast. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll go first on that. But before I start, I would like to, I, I think we all should congratulate uh, Nick and, and Olga, or Olga and Nick, for all the efforts they have uh, made uh, to keep uh, shipping uh, in the limelight over the pandemic period. I think they've done a great job. I remember uh, the Zoom meetings he forced us to attend, and he would not take no for an answer. I was in a COVID-infected environment at the time. My wife was one of the first victims, so we were locked in the house. I could not get anybody to come from the office to prepare the Zoom meetings. But, but Nick would never take no for an answer. He would keep on insisting. I think it was about the 20th of March, one of your very interesting. So I was sitting there. You taught me how to use technology. I was sitting there with my little camera trying to look brave, but, uh, you know, with my wife coughing on the background. But uh, joking apart, Nick, thank you very much. You kept us in line. You kept us connected. It would have been very, very difficult uh, without your efforts uh, uh, all these years. So, on, uh, first of all, $100 million in your question, Sophia, is getting to be very little in our days in the environment of inflation that we are living. And I'm not joking. I mean, what can you buy with a million? You can buy two-thirds of a VLCC, perhaps. Uh, you can buy half, if not, an LNG. Uh, perhaps you can buy a mid-sized container, but uh, I think uh, John has bought them all, so there's not much uh, <laughs> to, do, to, to, do in, to do in that. And, uh, and of course, so what is there left? If, if, uh, Pe half, uh, if Petros allows someone to buy, perhaps, uh, so my question will be, I think, fast. I mean, we run a big fleet of energy ships, more than 90 vessels in energy. We are looking to diversify. So perhaps a dual fuel uh, Newcastle Max or Cape would be something uh, that we would do for the next generations to have a much more diversified fleet. So not taking more of your time, I think that that is my, my answer of the week. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. Uh, George? Thank you. Uh, I'm glad to be here because Nico started with me when I started uh, Dry Ships, and we started together with Petros with less than a million dollars back in 86. And we didn't have any, anything else to do but start with the Balcaria. That's uh, what was available at the time. It was an 11-year-old uh, uh, Balcaria with a Piltic engine and a Derricks. So Nobody else wanted it, we got it, and we started. Uh, what do you do today with the 100 million? I think you have to uh, understand that if you are a new company, you will not get much financing. So that puts a uh, restriction. It's not as if I start with the 100 million, I would probably do different things. Uh, so I think the first thing to look is the next three years, always cash flow. So you want to protect your downside. And I'm pretty convinced that the dry bulk market is going to be good. Uh, for the next uh, three years at least. So I would start with bulk carriers. And Anthony Zalotas, you know, who I've known from university, back in the day when he started, he told me the best investment is a seven-year-old Japanese ship. It's still a good uh, investment, but I would even go older than that and I would buy a bigger and older uh, 
capes, which we, we, we have done. Uh, now, the question is, how much money do you have? I think there's a, the tanker sector, but it's more uh, difficult to uh, predict. I mean, everybody was hoping in uh, July of 2020, the market would turn in a few months. It's been 23 months that we had on the VLs below OPEX, uh, and the Suez Max is uh, a little bit above. The Afrowax has done a little better recently. So it's not an easy decision. But at the same time, if you want to progress in business, you have to look forward. LNG is probably good, or a, or a container probably, if you have long-term employment. The question is, is the chicken and egg situation? You cannot buy a ship with the employment, so you have to take a risk. So the question is uh, appetite of uh, risk. But I would definitely say the bulk areas is one, and then maybe you want to make a couple of orders of LNGs, but that's going to cost a lot of money, and you hope you will get a charter and 80% financial diligence, the problem is the technical management. So um, it's more challenging today, but if you want to be safe, you start with bulk carriers. So, so you, there are types of vessels we can buy at 100 million, I guess. We agree. Well, you can buy. You can buy old bulk carriers and scrap financing is 6%. You'll get 6% the bank and, you know, you take cash in and then uh, you pick your next move. Okay, thank you. The next question is to Mr. Prokopio. Um, Greek sh ship owners are known for their astute operations and their asset traders. So where do you see the opportunities today in secondhand markets or new buildings? Thank you. <clears throat> thank you very much for your question. But first, I want to thank uh, Mr. Bornozis and Olga for arranging this opportunity. Also, I have to say a big uh, thank you to the cruise, our cruise that kept uh, the lines open over these uh, two and a half years. And uh, the disruption was minimal. And uh, the lockdown helped uh, a lot people frustrated to order through Amazon and the container market went through the roof. These, these were the consequences of the lockdown. But uh, uh, since uh, your question is uh, uh, about investment, we have first to realize the world we are living in. So we are living in a world that the desirable became, uh, became the target and the doable was ignored. It was ignored for many years before the uh, invasion of Russia. And uh, for the last three, three and a half years, no investment was uh, permitted or encouraged to fossil fuels. Uh, due to every, every leader pointing to plan B, but plan B was not in place. So they were abandoning plan A without having plan B in place. So the, the desirable was confused with the doable, and we ran to, to the $100 uh, per barrel and uh, $60 per MMBTU of gas price before the invasion. This has to be uh, in our minds. So first is uh, we, should, we should focus to the doable and not to the desirable. Secondly, the, uh, after the invasion, we have a new reality, and a new world is before us, and never will be the same as before. We in Europe, as uh, my friend uh, uh, Vagelis stated, touched upon, 
uh, we are shooting our foot we Europeans and the only uh, winner of this is China and maybe India, even not intentionally. So we believe that going back to your question, that shipping is a matter of operating ships and as addition is buying and selling. You must have a good name in operating ships to be accepted by the charters at high level and very demanding, especially on LNG carriers, tankers and the leaser and bulkers. But uh, meantime, you can enjoy buying and selling at the right moment. What I would do now, definitely up to the moment that technology is settled and we don't have this fiction stories about uh, hydrogen and batteries and uh, all these, uh, or even natural gas, which cost six times for the same equivalent of uh, thermal uh, uh, power. That means instead of $1,000 per, uh, per ton, that is the price today of fuel, you have to pay five to $6,000. Even with 1,000, we don't can make the ends meet. You can imagine with six times, five times more expensive. So if I'm very eager to do something, I would definitely concentrate on second-hand ships, and I'll wait technology to settle down and to be tested and not to be the guinea pig to go to the next day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next question is to Mr. Babas. Um, shipping is a vital link to um, glo global supply chain. We've heard that. Does the global um, uh, economic and geopolitical environment create commercial opportunities for closer cooperation with cargo owners across all segments? Thank you, Sophia. Let me also thank Capital Ling and the Bornozis family for having us here. It's always very nice to uh, attend your conferences. Um, Sophia, I love your hairstyle. <laughs> Thank you. Please, please surprise us every time we see you. Hold it, hold it. Um, also, uh, I have, to, I have to say that this $100 million, you came in uh, 36 years late. <laughs> if you had given that to George and I in 1986 when we started OJV, we would have bought 65 vessels. Today we buy a couple. So, I'm, you know, I'm sorry about that, but it should have been a bit earlier. You weren't born then, of course. Thank you again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said that shipping is vital. I think, I think shipping is the elephant in the transport, transportation room. And actually, we don't have a strong voice, despite the fact that if we stop, the world stops. So we have to do something about that in the future. Now, as to the question, I actually thought hard over the weekend why would global uh, economics and uh, geopolitical environment would, uh, would get us closer to cargo interests? I, I didn't find an answer. 
but what I can answer is that environmental regulation will get us closer because I think that uh, a number of market players, ship owners, charters, cargo interests, governments, uh, shipyards, etc., engine manufacturers, will have to get together to be able to, uh, to achieve the final uh, result. So I think environmental policies, uh, alliances, and partnerships with them will, uh, will get us closer to them. But uh, that's, that's it. I think it's, it's fair to say that that's probably going to be a key decider, both on how they work with suppliers and how you as ship, uh, shipping companies are working with them to, to promote uh, these um, uh, sustainability uh, targets. Uh, the next question is to Mr. Costas um, and uh, to Mr. Tsakos too. Both of you can uh, reply, but first, Mr. Costas, do you see more opportunities operating across many sectors, as many of you have multi-sector businesses, or a single sector where we see Wall Street preferring listed companies actually having only one sector? Uh, well, yeah, thanks as well, you know, to the Bornozis family for all their support to the Greek community, not just here in Greece, but also in the U.S., where it's really we source our capital. Uh, I think that uh, as far as uh, investors are concerned, uh, obviously everyone wants to choose the independently the sector they want to invest in. Investors do not like mixed bags. Uh, and uh, uh, that's why companies that operate in uh, multiple sectors, definitely they have not seen any, uh, let's say, advantage. Uh, I don't know how significant a disadvantage is going to be because there are not really uh, many. But it, if one really wanted to uh, go into this market, I would definitely suggest, you know, if they want to have independent companies in each sector. I mean, one of the companies that went, uh, you know, in this uh, direction was uh, Mr. Peters with, uh, when he broke into his uh, companies, was the only, uh, let's say, example of such a division. And that, in the long run, has definitely proved uh, beneficial. Uh, I Nikos. Well, uh, I think you are a prime example of a, of a very devoted to, to your segment, and uh, you have gone through thick and thin with big success, and congratulations to you. We have not invented the right recipe in our case. I mean, our, even our public company, which runs about 75 uh, energy carriers, we call them tankers, is diversified anywhere from VLCCs down to product carriers, LNGs, Shuttle tankers, uh, it is not considered uh, 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 one uh, division share company because we are diversified and sometimes we are criticized because of that. We are almost split between products and, and crude, 
But at the end of the day, it has to do with uh, the bottom line. So uh, we are always being public. We are always very worried uh, to satisfy the needs of our shareholders. But the main need is to make the company have uh, a long-term uh, success. Like all of us, we've been around for many, many years. Shipping is a marathon, and sometimes uh, diversification, I think, assists in that. On the other hand, uh, going forward, I am not sure, unfortunately, how sustainable the tanker business is going to be. And I think uh, we have other people here that uh, have their own opinions. So we have to try and uh, you know, have a, a foot in the containers, as we do. We have a foot in dry cargo. And, uh, and try at the end to, to make it uh, all work. So I, I am much more on the diversified model than uh, a very successful model. Um, as you were talking, I was just going back 20 years ago during one of the IPOs, the Greek IPOs that I was working on, and how the company started with a multi-sector and then how the valuation ended up being more um, beneficial to do it as a um, one sector. And, you know, I, I, as, I, as I was writing this question down, I was thinking 20 years down the line, you know, we're in a changing world. But what I'm hearing is that investors are still thinking that that one sector is, is what, you know, where the values are. I'll take that back with me. Um, the next question um, is to Mr. Fabaz. Um, I want to start off by saying that EY um, is already um, carbon negative. And we've actually set a goal by 2025 to be net zero. So we heard about the importance of um, climate change, how the temperature is increasing. And you know this particular risk is not going to go away. So all businesses, and that's why I mentioned you know, ourselves as a, um, as a service uh, company, we are setting goals. And we're, we're holding our people and our uh, partners to meeting those goals. Now, looking at the shipping industry, what are the, and this is again to Mr. Babaz, what are the key parameters for setting decarbonization strategy for shipping companies? And how would this affect your investment and fleet renewal decisions? Thank you, Sophia. Uh, there are five parameters. First, is that we should know what the new green fuels are going to be. It's going to be ammonia, methanol, biofuels, nuclear energy. Um, so that's, that is one very important issue, of course, and it has not been uh, yet decided. Then, one, then once we know that, um, we need to uh, have the vessels that have the right engines and the right configuration to be able to carry the, to, uh, to burn these fuels. Thereafter, we need uh, adequate supply of the fuels, uh, infrastructure. We need um, adequate quantities of these, um, of these fuels. I was hearing the other day someone saying that uh, if you're going to, uh, to um, produce green ammonia, you need 85,000 square meters, uh, 80,000 square kilometers of area to be able to cover the needs of one uh, container ship of 22,000 TUs. 
Mykonos is 89,000 uh, square kilometers. So it, you need a Mykonos for one vessel. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, actually, uh, Mykonos is 89. We have four, four, four uh, square kilometers left for the beaches. Um, and then at the end, the, the last thing it's, uh, is that uh, the prices should be competitive. Everybody's criticizing shipping right now that um, we are uh, contributing to inflation. Imagine when uh, the fuel oils will be double or triple, or I don't know what uh, the price. Uh, overall, I personally think that uh, it will take the better part of the next decade to be able to fulfill all these uh, requirements. Now, what can we do in the meantime? Um, what we do is we participate in uh, organ organizations, forums, uh, we follow the developments, uh, we try to contribute on R&D where we can. Uh, we actually uh, teamed up with uh, three main uh, charters BHP, Rio Tinto, and Oldendorf, and we created uh, a green uh, corridor consortium which will uh, use uh, uh, capes or Newcastle maxes from Australia to, uh, to East Asia. Um, and the idea is that um, the production of, the, of ammonia, because that's probably what uh, this corridor will use, uh, will um, be done in Australia and therefore the, ve the vessels to be built uh, will, um, will uh, bunker once and do the round trip. And of course we have to build the vessels for that and to be able to do that investment we need uh, the charters at a decent return on investment. We will see how that works. These other um, green corridors, uh, I think on the container side, etc. So, so uh, there are some moves and we're trying to be there. The immediate practical thing we're doing is uh, basically to um, affect operational and technical improvements on our existing uh, vessels uh, to be able to comply with the coming EXI and CII regulations. Um, we don't have any intentions to uh, build uh, new buildings because uh, if there is, uh, if the delivery, let's say, is at 25 or 26, and the new, and the new engines come in in 28, 29, um, immediately the vessels may be second-class citizens so we will stay with our older fleet and try to improve its efficiency as much as possible. Thank you, Petro. And the next question is to Mr. Prokopio and Mr. Marinakis. We talked a little bit around, you talked a little bit around the Ukraine war, but COVID actually, uh, in addition to the Ukraine war, have brought certain challenges when it comes to crewing, whether it's costs or additional safety costs. So which costs do you believe are here to stay and how are they and how are you addressing these challenges? As far as the crewing is concerned uh, among uh, Ukrainians and uh, Russians, I think that we have around 12-13% of the global uh, crewing. So that's a significant amount. 
uh, who have been uh, involved um, uh, as a company uh, with both uh, Ukrainians and the Russians. Uh, when uh, the war started, uh, we took a, a number of, uh, of measures to ensure, especially for the Ukrainians uh, and their families, uh, to protect and to help to assist as much as possible and provide them a safe uh, uh, housing and uh, also to help them moving families out uh, from uh, the area and uh, assist them uh, in whatever they needed. On the other hand, uh, we had to be careful uh, because we had, uh, and we still have uh, ships that uh, they have mixed uh, uh, crew, uh, Ukrainians and the Russians together. So far, we haven't uh, faced any serious uh, problem, but I think that uh, uh, the more uh, this war continues, uh, it's a matter of time when uh, we'll face uh, some problems. That's why we have started the process of uh, separating them. And of course, as far as uh, COVID is concerned, uh, we learned a lot of things and uh, uh, for the well-being uh, of the crew on board and the test that uh, we had to do on uh, sometimes even on daily occasions. And uh, of course, uh, the repatriation and, uh, you know, it was a major issue. And of course, uh, that was an extra major expense. And, uh, of course, uh, we had to take also measures as far as the uh, food and the nutrition on board that uh, had to be improved and uh, have a healthy uh, cruise. So, you know, it was a challenging time. And uh, as uh, uh, Mr. Prokopiu mentioned, Earlier, I mean, we have to thank our crews because uh, it was difficult uh, uh, times and uh, it was untested uh, territories for all of us with uh, uh, the COVID situation that uh, everybody had to be cooperative, patient. We had also uh, crews that uh, stayed for several months over the contract because they couldn't be repatriated. And of course, uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, gave us the power and the right to be able to operate because in some occasions uh, that was not possible. So we need to, to thank them and also do things for them for the future in order to uh, be safe and uh, protected. That's basically what uh, we need to say for the, for as far as the crew is concerned, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, of course, uh, COVID, uh, uh, due to the fact that uh, the majority of uh, the people were inside the house with the lockdown, first of all, they didn't spend the money uh, for holidays or for uh, restaurants or for da their daily routine. 
and uh, being uh, in the houses, they had to order things and uh, uh, goods. And of course, we saw this uh, impact in the container market and on the dry cargo market in some occasions uh, that uh, changed the fundamentals of the market. And of course, we saw the market uh, rocketing. Uh, and uh, as far as the war is concerned, again, uh, we have seen uh, uh, different uh, origins as far as uh, the cargo is coming from, uh, from the usual uh, destination that uh, was uh, Russia. Of course, that uh, uh, creates opportunities and uh, uh, we need to be able to take advantage of these opportunities uh, because uh, uh, at the end of the day, when we'll all be stabilized, we might face uh, different markets. So that's basically what. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Porokopio, anything to add? Yes, I would like to say that uh, as an example, during the first, uh, from January up to now, we have taken delivery of five uh, new building Swiss Maxes in China. And we had to, to put a Chinese crew because of the tough restrictions in China and to go to Korea, change this crew with the normal crew, which we kept one month there. And for two months, the Chinese have to stay. So the delivery of the ship costed uh, more than uh, half a million, these changes for one crew to the other crew and familiarization and so on. But what I want to say, as uh, I said also before, that the dedication and the uh, cooperation with the crews during the COVID period was impressive. So in overall, we have not seen problems with the ships. They were more problems on the ports and the lorries outside and the uh, uh, all uh, uh, auxiliary uh, uh, support to the ports on logistics. The ships itself, they went on time and they loaded and they went to discharge port on time. Now, talking about the disruption of Russia and Ukraine conflict, it was the biggest miscalculation of the century. And uh, the commodity prices, we are still in the beginning of the disruption. And the good thing for shipping is the ton miles. This is a tragedy. It's a tragedy for the humanity. But uh, this, at the same time, creates opportunities. The ton miles definitely are going to be increased uh, immensely. Uh, cargos that were going next door by the pipeline will be loaded to go to China. Cargos that they were staying in, uh, in the mid Far East and India will come to Europe. It is an amazing re uh, rewriting shipping lanes. And uh, I, we must have this in mind how to turn the the, the mishap to opportunity. Uh, coming uh, to the restrictions and sanctions, sanctions have never worked. They, uh, the Iranians became stronger and uh, better 
uh, to be self-sufficient. The, the Venezuelans are suffering much more. The elite is always having good uh, time. So uh, if you are spending all your energy for, uh, for the bread uh, to bring home, you don't have your mind in revolutions and in changes of regimes. When you have a half full or full stomach, then you have all this luxury for, ch for chasing and change and so on. So uh, I don't believe this attitude, but at least my recommendation and demand is to be clear what is allowed and what is not, because we are living in a gray area all the time, what is legal, what is illegal, and we see banks and insurers becoming uh, uh, more strict than the regulations are, and create, creates a lot of, uh, of uh, misunderstandings. So I do believe that uh, uh, the time for VLCCs is coming, and uh, by the end of the year, we'll see uh, very, very good markets in all segments. I'm very optimistic. And uh, as uh, nobody wants to be a guinea, guinea pig in ordering ships, the ships will la last for longer and will command much higher prices, as we see already. And all the regulations will adapt to the new reality because without ships, we will turn off the lights, the transportation, the refrigeration, everything. So, uh, and thanks God that Greece provides shipping for whole Europe. So, as I said in Germany, when we were signing that uh, famous contract, I said as we are proud of the, uh, of the German car industry, car making auto industry, uh, and we are proud because it's the European car industry. You have to be proud for the Greek shipping, which is the European shipping, and don't see it with uh, uh, half an eye and trying all the time to find excuses to, big op to put obstacles in Greek shipping. Uh, so this is my assess as, uh, assessment for what we are now in. Thank you, Mr. Prokopio. I mean, actually was taking note as you were talking, but what I really liked, the comment you made, with challenges, there's an increase in opportunities. And we've seen that both in Greek shipping and in the Greek finance world in the last 10, 15 years, that with challenges, you know, people become more innovative, opportunities are there and we you know, have entrepreneurs are able to capture those opportunities and really make big wins. Um, the next question I would say goes to Mr. Ekonomo. So do you, um, it's, do you think that the current regulations, uh, which includes also environmental, are appropriate and fair for the shipping industry? And what do you see as a potential major concern or challenge that is coming your way, meaning to the, um, the shipping industry? I don't believe that there's fairness in life. So it is what it is. I think we have to navigate like a sailor that sets out to sea and encounters good weather, bad weather, damages, and so on and so forth. I think the problem is that there's too many voices and there's not one direction. If you remember back in the day when the Exxon Valdez happened in uh, 
1989, the Americans came out with the uh, OPA uh, 90, which allowed 25 years for the conversion of single hull to double hull. Uh, same thing should be happening in many uh, areas that the regulators are involved. The problem is that the people that take decisions, uh, the regulatory bodies, are not versed at all in the shipping uh, developments, and therefore they take the wrong decisions, and they want something uh, yesterday or tomorrow, and this isn't going to be happening. The problem with the fuels has to be uh, solved by the people that are providing the fuels. You cannot expect a person that you've given a diesel engine three years later to tell him, now you have to turn this into an electric uh, engine. You cannot do it. He has to sell that to buy another one. So, and it's going to continue. And unfortunately, we live in an environment where people are, it's like the younger kids with the uh, iPhones. They get confused. Too much information, they don't know which way, direction to go. Is this going to be solved? No. But if there's some, somebody that can solve it, it's the oil companies. Uh, they don't have an incentive because they're sitting on oil and gas, and that's what they will uh, promote. Thank you. Um, I think we can go to, I'm, I'm trying to put a theme because I, I, I really enjoy your answers, and you know, I think there's a theme here, so I'm going to maybe change a little bit some of the questions so we can have a continuation. Um, we talked around. Um, <clears throat> We talked around regulations and we said around the environment and uh, uh, and with respect to the changes that are taking place and how this is going to impact the business. So the next question is to um, Mr. Sarkos. So sustainability is becoming a key measure and we heard it in a previous panel for stakeholders. We saw lenders actually providing more favorable borrowing terms to, um, depending on ESG performance. Uh, regulators, you know, both the US and Europe are really creating ESG uh, uh, pronouncements and standards. And so there's going to be a lot more disclosure, a lot more transparency, a lot more reporting around that. And investors uh, are incorporating ESG in their investor uh, investment decisions, right? So how prepared is the shipping industry in meeting stakeholders' expectations? And what do you think companies should be doing to comply and prepare for? Thank you, Sophia. Well I think that uh, uh, over the centuries, shipping has actually uh, given back to society uh, without having a title. Uh, so I think we are uh, used to give back to society. We are used to give back to the environment. We have been in the forefront of changes. I think uh, George mentioned the double-double design, which was a design that uh, the whole uh, tanker industry had to absorb financially without any grants or any help which is very unlike of what is happening in, 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 in land or on air-based uh, businesses. So now we have, we have a name uh, for it. I think the companies uh, that are here are companies that uh, have very good housekeeping. Uh, we've, uh, most of us have been public for uh, decades. Uh, but it's not only the housekeeping we're interested. It's uh, the actual uh, giving back, uh, either to the, to, to the, back to the environment, back to society or having a much more diverse uh, way of doing business. Uh, so I am very optimistic that shipping is in the forefront. And uh, as George said, I mean, we are navigating the, uh, the difficulties. Uh, I do not see we have been through much worse uh, than, uh, than something like this. So I think we, we are prepared. I mean, again, my concern is not so much 
on uh, uh, our environmental social conscious, as I call it, ESC, I call it, because I think this, this conscious is uh, very much embedded mainly in Greek shipping. I think if you look at the biggest, uh, biggest providers of uh, charity around uh, our country uh, and uh, ha have been uh, people from a shipping background. So I think this is, this is natural. For us, the sustainability, I go back to what I mentioned earlier, has to do with, uh, in our business, where we transport energy, how long uh, this model will be around for and what energy will, will be transporting. I mean, we, I, we have been one of the early uh, movers in the LNG. We, I think, took delivery of our first LNG in 2007. Uh, and because we have a diversified company, I never felt comfortable with technologies that changed quicker than my iPhone. I mean, I, I still have the same iPhone I had some time ago, but uh, by the time we took delivery of our first LNG, technology had moved to the second. By the time we did our third LNG, by the fourth time we thought of So, you know, we, we, we are looking for change, but we would like uh, to see the dust settled in technology because the, the depreciation of those assets, of the early generation assets, uh, is, is immense and much more than what they, they will make in, in a very short lifespan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think we should not be the first movers. Is it going to be methanol, ethanol, or whatever? Ammonia. Ammonia. Uh, but in the meantime, we have, we have to, run, to run a business. And I think this uh, reminds me that uh, uh, a verse, uh, I think, from, from John Lennon that uh, says, life is what happens to you when you're busy making future plans. And I think that's what <laughs> we are right now into shipping. I mean, things are happening. We need... To, you know, to run our business, we need to feed the world, we need to warm the world up, but uh, in the meantime, we, you know, we are busy uh, also thinking of, uh, of, of the future. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next question is to Mr. Costas, and we're going to go into financing, and there's no, uh, I think, uh, panel discussion around shipping that we don't bring the topic of financing. So banks remain, banks remain a significant force uh, for lending, uh, but we have also seen Chinese leasing and alternative financing. So what, in your viewpoint, is the current financial landscape uh, opportunities for uh, the shipping industry? Yes, thank you. Uh, there is no doubt that, uh, you know, we had also the presentation before from Bocom uh, that uh, the Chinese leasing sector has substituted to a significant extent the lack of capital provided by the Western banks. Uh, we have seen a significant contraction since 2008. Uh, with all the regulation, I don't believe really that uh, the banking market uh, will be really there to support all the needs of the shipping industry. There is no doubt that it will always be there because in general, it is the cheapest element. Uh, but uh, I don't think that any shipping company that wants to grow uh, can rely purely on uh, banks. Uh, we have, of course, the leasing model. Uh, the leasing model is extremely interesting, uh, but in general, it is expensive. So, uh, of course, it gives you significant leverage. But when you are 
let's say, on the downside, that might present uh, difficulties. Uh, personally, I'm uh, very much in favor of uh, the public uh, debt markets, the bond markets, especially the US bond markets that do not really have any limit in terms of size. It's always there at a price and very quickly. Uh, the problem, of course, that you, know, you have uh, over there, uh, mainly in terms of disclosures and things like that, make it rather uh, unattractive for private companies. But for public companies that uh, have all the necessary disclosure in uh, place, I think that uh, access to this market can uh, give a significant tool uh, for capital that has uh, minimum uh, covenants, is available very quickly when you're going to need it. And uh, as I said, it's in general at a price, it's always available. So. Uh, this is, uh, I believe, the mix that we can see today. Uh, the, th there are a lot of uh, smaller banks coming uh, to fulfill, uh, let's say, the uh, lowest end, uh, the, the smaller companies that require financing. Uh, that is becoming more and more difficult. And uh, yeah, as Mr. Economou said before, really small uh, companies have really to assume uh, either cash uh, financing or financing at uh, you know pretty conservative levels, 50, 40 percent, sometimes even 30 percent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the next question is to Mr. Babam, and we're going to go into something that's a little bit futuristic, at least in my mind, but um, it's happening. So certain shipping companies have increased their investments in offshore power production vessels. So we, like a Scorpio switched their focus from um, uh, dry bulk to offshore wind sector, and they're constructing a wind turbine installation vessel, WTIV. In, in your view, what is driving ship owners towards such changes? And is this something we shall see um, or expect the Greek ship owners to be investing in? Thank you, Sofia. I don't know if uh, my friend Emmanuel is in the room. Um, I think that short term, divesting the dry vessels before the market went up wasn't that a great, wasn't that a great investment. However, medium term or long term, he's uh, amassing experience on uh, pro promising environmental technologies and that could prob will probably be beneficial to him. Now, one thing that's important, pioneers may be the first and may gain, but they also undertake the risks of being pioneers. And in my view, Greek ship owners like to do what they know to do best. Um, on the other hand, of course, we are 
daring people, to say the least. Uh, and when we see an opportunity where there are uh, good probabilities of uh, success, then we will try it out. But um, I don't think we will be uh, the Christopher Columbus's uh, discovering America. We will follow right after. And, and for our uh, Scandinavian uh, friends here, I know the Vikings uh, uh, discovered uh, America first. And some history. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, the next question, uh, let's go to Mr. Marinakis. So we talked around um, all the conflicts, the challenges, but there's a term that is being used, or at least we're beginning to think of it as having a more of a disruptive impact in our lives, which is deglobalization. So about 10, 15, 20 years ago, we saw huge multinationals wanting to, to, uh, to globalize, right? economies of scale, finding the best resources, locations. I mean, global firms were probably where everybody wanted to be uh, in, uh, uh, to, to create. But now, because of all the challenges disrupted, whether it's COVID or the geopolitical, we're hearing a lot of governments talking about um, interdependence, not having to be interdependent on other nations. So deglobalization, how would this impact the shipping industry, and should shipping companies be doing something today to prepare? I think that uh, what you, you mentioned is very interesting, and uh, answering uh, your question, uh, it will mean that uh, our industry is even more interesting. What you say that, uh, first of all, the, the world is growing, the population is growing. That means that uh, we have uh, extra demands, and not only this, that is growing. Uh, in uh, big countries like China and India, uh, the demand, the demands and the requirements of this population, again, is increasing, and they don't uh, live as they used to live many years with minimum requirements. So that means that, uh, again, uh, this creates opportunities. The countries, they have to uh, produce more and consume more. Uh, what we have seen uh, during uh, COVID is that uh, the West has been dependent a lot in China, in the Far East, for various vital products and uh, uh, materials uh, that uh, are used for medicine, are used for chips, for the for computers and for telephones. And uh, we realized all of a sudden that uh, we had to do something and start producing uh, ourselves because uh, uh, you can be very vulnerable in a crisis. All this, of course, and if this starts in Europe, uh, that means that you have to import uh, another material in order to be able to produce this. So that's why I think it's interesting because of all these uh, opportunities and all these uh, different patterns and different uh, cargos and different uh, requirements that uh, creates more transportation and uh, of course uh, we like what we do and uh, 
all these changes at the end of the day is challenging for our industry. Okay, thank you. Uh, can I make just a sure. small comment on that? Yes. Taking on what, uh, continue on what Ageli said. Uh, today, everybody, you know, has a dream and politicians and say, okay, we're going to transfer production back. If you look around, look in the US, where is the workforce to do that? I mean, it's already, you know, at record low uh, uh, unemployment. I mean, in Europe as well, unemployment is extremely low historically, and the people actually who are unemployed are, are not definitely the ones who will be able to participate in the production process. So I don't think really, I think that strategically what happens is not onshoring. I mean, people here have been looking at Russia and at the pandemic at the same time where they see they want to diversify the sources of their either energy or products. So the term that people are using is not onshoring, but friend-shoring. So they want to transfer production into places that they consider as safer to them politically or otherwise. So I don't think really that shipping is uh, uh, going, that deglobalization is going to change. It might even in terms of, let's say, transportation and complexity, it's going to be even more demanding. No, I agree. Thank you. Um, I'm just, this is a special question, and it's to Mr. Procopio. Uh, I see the time is going to run out in a little while, but I think it's very important we hear from him. Uh, Mr. Procopio has invested in uh, revitalizing a major Greek shipyard. So we would just appreciate if you can share your vision and your, of, of this particular project. <laughs> this is a question that uh, needs a long answer, but I'll tell you the, the highlights. The reason that I participate and I won this uh, uh, auction were patriotic motives, nothing else. I felt very disappointed to see this huge installation to be in a dilapidated stage and to lose the, the high good name that it had. There are many excellent people working in this place that they, are, uh, they have a dream to see this place in the glories that it, they had in the past. It is a difficult challenge. It is a challenge and it's a very difficult one, but I took it because I like challenges first. I know very well the capabilities of Greeks in excelling any other race in doing uh, innovations and uh, to be hard workers. Uh, when a place is uh, uh, without uh, uh, an owner and uh, it is uh, managed by politicians for over 25 years, and uh, I do believe that uh, the Greek uh, saying that you must have your nails to scratch your back and you don't expect others to scratch your back, I have a dream to make Greece independent 
on the shipbuilding for naval assets and submarines as it used to be. And this is my dream. So new technologies give ground to new people to materialize their dreams with the new technologies uh, like carbon fiber crafts, unmanned crafts, uh, a lot of uh, uh, in uh, research and uh, in, uh, in uh, electronics being able, because when we need and we buy everything and at very high prices, when they are needed, they plug off uh, our friends so we cannot use it. So it is a big task, I know, and it's a big uh, uh, challenge, but I'll do it. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to clap. So we have five more minutes. So, I mean, I have a lot more questions, but I'll try to just to keep it um, to one and two before we finish. Um, Mr. Ekonomo, let's talk a little bit around what we're seeing as trends, and I just want your views around this. So we're seeing companies merging, spinning off companies, and I would like to hear from you. What are the pros and cons of doing a spin-off or a merger, or do you think the industry needs some form of consolidation? I think there's a, <coughs> sorry, there's a critical level above which you don't increase your income or reduce your ex expense. That would be 40, 50 ships. A well-run 40, 50 ship company will have better results than one with 150 ships. So uh, that answers this part of the question. The second question about spin-offs, <coughs> they have to be done if they serve an economic interest. A lot of times people haven't had the experience or they're doing it for other reasons. Uh, but if you want, if you have a company that has more than one sectors, because, and you're public, uh, because the investors do focus on uh, pure plays, then uh, that's uh, warranted. Uh, I don't know if you want to ask another question on that, but this is basically to keep it I'm short, is you don't <laughs> have time. 4.13 left. Thank, thank you, thank you. Uh, okay, good, all right. So we have a little bit more time. Um, <laughs> I, th I think, uh, George, let's leave it at, at, at what you basically said, uh, and let's just change a little bit um, the conversation around innovation. This is open to the entire panel. Um, I'm going to start off by saying, um, you know, I'm a kid. Pedro, I actually grew up watching reruns but uh, Star Trek and the Jetsons, and I always thought those were science fiction, uh, futuristic. But um, a few days ago, I had an opportunity to see EY's version of the, the metaverse. And for those of you who may or may not know, it's a, I mean, the internet will be changing in the next few years, and we're gonna be working in an environment that's gonna be a, a parallel, a matching to the real environment. So the virtual aspect of what we're gonna be seeing, you know, to Zooms and Teams and those types of meetings are gonna be a lot more dynamic. There's, you're gonna have an avatar and then avatar is gonna wear a Gucci dress, and Prada shoes, 
and you're going to be buying these things on, online. So there's going to be a lot of innovation as to how businesses are going to be conducted. But to the shipping industry, we heard the previous panels talk around innovations. So what type of investments are needed for digital transformation to transpire? So let's start off with Mr. Marinakis, and we can go down. This, is, this uh, has nothing to do with shipping, or it has to do with shipping in uh, a small loop. No, the, the, the metaverse is just an example of where innovation is going to be going in the next few years. But what we heard is also shipping has its own innovations that are needed. We talked around how managing costs, how are you going to be managing your, your assets and so forth. So just your views as to what type of investments you think are needed around innovation. I think that uh, what is important, um, as I said before, is uh, to have um, our crew safe, uh, uh, well-trained, and uh, well-being on board uh, our ships. There is a, there is a number of um, things that uh, uh, internet and all these digital platforms uh, enables you to to do, uh, and as I said earlier, this is from nutrition uh, to give them everything in the in uh, a platform uh, to change the menus, uh, also to have uh, training on board and uh, be fit, and uh, of course all these uh, things can be done uh, digital and uh, you know is an example, and I think that. Uh, is also very important, uh, you know, for these people to perform as best as possible and uh, feel as safe as possible and also to be satisfied. Uh, you know, digital uh, reforms there help a lot. Also, uh, as far as the digital uh, revolution of, uh, can help in the consumptions on how we measure the CO2 and uh, uh, how our engines can become more efficient uh, in order to uh, fulfill uh, this goal as much as possible. So all these innovations, of course, can help uh, shipping. And uh, on the other hand, uh, of course, from the money that uh, we make uh, in shipping, we can do, uh, we can invest them uh, in other uh, areas that. Uh, digital uh, reform and uh, digital uh, platforms are needed. I mean, we have done it in Greece with the marketplace. And uh, of course, there is a plenty of things that uh, uh, we can do. But I think that the most uh, important thing is that uh, with this access in the internet that uh, everybody has globally, even if you are in the middle of the desert and you have access to internet, you can do things. You can show it to the rest of the world, something that uh, no one had the opportunity to do before. And uh, everybody uh, in this world is able to do something special, to do something that uh, uh, can create unique opportunities. Thank you. Mr. Kusta? Well, yeah, definitely technology uh, in uh, 
give us a lot of tools, I mean, like artificial intelligence, to improve the operational performance of our existing assets. Uh, of course, the biggest challenge in shipping will come with all the research into autonomous ships. I mean, Mr. Prokopiu has said, you know, that we are the taxi drivers of the sea. I mean, imagine uh, if tomorrow Uber has its own self-driving cars, they don't need, of course, the taxi drivers, and they can themselves just own the assets and operate them. I mean, for Greek shipping that has been uh, really built around the expertise of training the crews and running the vessels efficiently, uh, definitely this will come as a disadvantage. Uh, I don't know how quickly we are going to reach such a stage. It might be premature, but uh, I think in the long run, our biggest challenge is going to be into how really to adapt in a situation that the autonomous ship becomes the norm. Thank you. Mr. Prokopiu? I'm very much in favor of uh, every innovation, and we try always to innovate, and we try to have new solutions, uh, North Sea route, uh, bigger LNG carriers, uh, various, various things. But we are giving a wrong message to the new generation. The new generation must understand with, that without real work, by pressing buttons, they cannot make money. This is a big uh, challenge for our society now, that all the youth expect to, the, the heaviest uh, thing to, to, to lift is their pen. So we need also real people to do the real work. And this is the biggest challenge. So all these futuristic uh, uh, things that are based in consumerism and uh, what you said is, uh, uh, I, I believe that they give a wrong message and we have to come back and to be balanced about what computers, artificial intelligence, all this can deliver and who is going to build the house, the ship, the road and do the work. So we are have distancing ourselves from this reality, and we, we see that uh, all production has shifted to the Far East. We are talking now about deglobalization. That means that we have to do it locally. I don't see who is going to do it. It is a huge issue and a huge uh, chapter. Uh, so the, we must find the balance between these two uh, approaches. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Tacos? Yes. Thank you, Sophia. Well, I think it is uh, uh, digitalization and technology should take in consideration the human factor. I think we should not uh, allow our seafarers uh, to, to become uh, second uh, in the back seat. Uh, they have to be able to take responsibility. We're going to offer them whatever technology is there, which is logical for them to be able to have a safer, uh, uh, more economical, more environmental 
friendly voyages, because I think this is uh, why shipping is going to be around and it's going to be sustainable for many, many more centuries, because whatever you do, it, it is the most economic, the most environmental friendly, uh, and the most efficient way of, of moving huge commodities around the world. So, and this will not change. Perhaps the commodities that uh, we will move might change, but of course there will be enough of them to be carried around in a growing world. I think we have every single year 75 million people, uh, additional population. That's a, a country the size of Germany. The population is in this world every single year. So I think we are there as taxi drivers or whatever you call it, or truck drivers, as, as I said, to, to continue going forward. So technology has to go hand with hand with real seamanship. We cannot, uh, I mean, I do not believe, uh, I believe there might be lesser crews. I believe we might go down from 24, 25 uh, seafarers down to perhaps 14, 15, much more educated, much more uh, uh, up with technology. But I think uh, seamanship is still going to be important and that will, what will keep the Greek shipping at the edge in comparison with anything else. Th thank you, Mr. Tsakos. Uh, Mr. Papas? I'm afraid that uh, technologically I'm even behind uh, Nikos here because he has an old iPhone and I still have a Blackberry. <laughs> that's, a, that's a museum item, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I think that um, our task right now is to concentrate on what our major issue is. And our major issue is uh, environmental. Um, so we have to follow uh, environmental innovation and uh, embrace um, the, the technology uh, breakthroughs once they're proven. I think this is our main issue as far as technologies go and everything else is of, of less importance. Um, as, far, as far as uh, digital digital uh, transformation is concerned. I think an important thing is that um, uh, the technology companies uh, should, should cooperate with shipping companies so that they create something that we understand, something that uh, saves money or, cre or uh, creates opportunities for profits or saves time or, or, or whatever, practical results. Um, if, they, uh, if they operate in parallel with us, we will probably not uh, use uh, uh, what they will come up with. Um, and one thing we should also uh, not forget is that uh, uh, with that technology, we uh, cyber risk come, come in and we have to yeah. take care of them because they could create uh, severe problems in the future. Thank you. Mr. Okonomo? I think there's no doubt <coughs> that uh, innovation digitalization will be very useful in making uh, uh, shipping operations more efficient. Now, I have a dream, and people like uh, mysteries and uh, surprises and the unknown. And what, what I'm doing now, and this is not known, uh, we created a platform. So my dream is that we put assets on board and we started with the first ship and then this platform works on uh, Algorand and blockchain and then anybody could buy a small part. It's not an NFT, not to be confused, it's real assets 
And I hope that we will be able to develop further and get clients, because the problem is not develop technologies. How do you get, as they call, traffic, which is traffic is assets on board and uh, people to, uh, to go for it. And I think this is going to happen uh, in a lot of uh, uh, industries around the world. It's happening already. The problem is the regulatory environment, mm -hmm. because for the time being, most of this is allowed for institutional investors. My dream is to make it for uh, retail investors. So, well, that's, that's they have the dream. It didn't last very long. <laughs> well, I hope that you know they have no reason. I'm not a political animal. I'm agnostic. Yeah. I would like to make a question to the to the audience the other way around. Of usually, am I, am yes, I allowed? Yes, sir, please. I want all of you to think: who is to blame for the pollution of a taxi? The driver or the passenger, for your own guidance. Thank you. All right. Um, I'm going to be closing it. We already took 10 minutes of your time. But I felt that this was really, as I said, one of my favorite parts of the event. And just listen to so many experienced uh, ship owner, Greek ship owners talking around these um, topics. So gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for your insights and how uh, explaining to us how these challenges can really become opportunities and how the Greek ship owners are really looking at the challenges and adapting themselves to actually win. So thank you, everyone. And I hope you have a pleasant uh, day and for the rest of the event. Thanks.